0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Bridge. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge. and I'm so glad you're here as we're talking about, uh, in this series, dreams and hopes that we have for the future. And uh, we, we started off in the very first week of the series asking this question, and we've kind of posed it every week. And the question is, what is your dream or hope for 2020. Do you have a dream? Do you have a significant hope or goal that you're trying to uh, accomplish this year? I mean, more than just you know losing some weight or making more money, do you really have something significant that you're trying to accomplish? Uh, Is there a a plan or something you're trying to do to give your life away? Or maybe to make somebody else's life better or make the world a better place? What do you want to try to accomplish in 2020? Uh, a moment ago, before this last song, you heard a little excerpt from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And tomorrow is a day that we, uh, our nation celebrates uh, his life. And, you know, it's interesting. That was an excerpt from a, a sermon that he actually preached. And many people may not even know, but he was actually a preacher. He preached over 200 messages in his career And um, uh, probably, arguably, I guess the most famous speech he had was when he delivered one uh, in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., where he talked about a dream that he had, and it was a dream about uh, equality and justice and freedom for all races of people uh, in America. And he talked about, uh, he wanted to be in a place where his four children could grow up in a nation that they were judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And I, while, and that's an incredible dream. And while we've made a lot of advances in our country since 1963, August of 1963, we still have a long ways to go before that dream is fully realized. And I pray and hope that we get there, that we move, continue to move in that direction. But that's an incredible dream, and it's a dream that He gave His life away to. Uh, what about you? You have dreams for this year? And what do you plan to do? How do you plan to accomplish those dreams? And maybe this is a year that you just begin accomplishing little things as you move toward a bigger goal or a bigger dream down the road. We talked about the very first week creating a domino effect in our life uh, where we have this major dream we're trying to get to. And every day or every year, we set up these little priorities. And the more we knock those down and they keep falling and falling, it creates like a domino effect of momentum and energy as we build toward that big goal, or that big dream down the road. What is your dream for this year? Uh, We talked about very first week that God has a dream when he thinks about his church or the way the church is to be perceived in the world, the way Christ followers are to be perceived in the world. And when God thinks about or dreams about his church, here are the things that he included in that dream about his church, that the church will be a place where everyone is welcome, everyone is serving, and everyone is changed. That that, that when you think about the concept of Christ followers or the church in the world, that it would be a place or it'd be a group of people where everyone that came in contact felt welcomed by them. They felt uh, a sense of wanting to serve, give their life away. And as they do so, their lives are changed. And we've, we've, we've said each week that as we do that as this group, the bridge, that we actually become a bridge of hope in our community, in our world. And hope, man, hope is something that all of us need at some point in our life. Hope is this thing that is so contagious that if one person has it, other people want it. Um, Hope is something that helps make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way, right? Um, Hope is that thing where if you have this thing that down the road you see this dream or this future that you you would like to be a part of or you'd like to have and it doesn't seem like there's any possible way. Well, hope is what begins helping you to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. Uh, Hope is what stays alive and keeps that dream alive that people finally realize someday in their life. Hope is huge. And that's really as a bridge, that's our goal is that we would become a bridge of hope in our communities that surround our, our campuses and throughout the world. You know, when you, we talk about this thing called the church and depending on how you grew up, what your background is, that word may have different connotations to you. It may be that in your background and your you know way of thinking that church was always associated with a location or a building, and so we were you know you grew up you might say we're going to church or I need to get back in church and it was always about going to some place, some building, and that was called the church. The truth is, and we learned this last week, the church didn't start out that way. In fact, when Jesus had his earthly ministry and he was talking to his disciples. He used that word church, and it was more about a gathering, an assembly, or a movement of people. It had nothing to do with a location. It was everything, that had everything to do with about a group of people, a movement or a gathering of people. And as we continue to see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, as that movement began to take shape, and that movement was based all around, and Jesus looked at Peter and he said, you know, he asked the disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, I'll tell you who I say you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build a movement, a gathering of people and death itself will not stop it, will not come against it, will not be able to prevail against it. And sure enough, as you read the New Testament, this thing gets going, this church, this, this new movement of people, and it literally became viral I mean, man, it started spreading like wildfire because it was based on this thing that the, the, the followers of Jesus were going out and were talking about an event that happened in history that literally changed the world. The event that took place is what Christianity is based on is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Once that took place and Jesus was a dead man walking around, greeting people, talking to people, Man, I'm telling you, all of a sudden, it took on a, a whole new form. And these people, the, the early disciples, they were traveling everywhere telling people, we've seen what took place. We know what happened. We saw with our own eyes. He was dead. He was raised again. And in him is salvation. He's the one that you lean to. There's no other name that's given to people for, for you to be saved other than the name of Jesus. And they began spreading this message that your sins can be forgiven. You can have a right relationship with God. You can have a home in heaven for eternity and it's not based on things that you have to do. It's not based on your deeds, it's based on what God has already done for you by sending Jesus to die for you. And this message began to resonate and thousands and thousands of people began flocking to this movement of people called the church. It literally went viral. And the, the book of Acts and the In the New Testament it really is talks about the acts of this new church it kind of chronicled the events that took place with the starting of this new movement of people and in there you see other prominent figures coming uh, coming into play and one of them was a guy his Jewish name was Saul and Saul was a guy who was uh, part of the religious elite in the Jewish order And he looked at the the followers of Jesus as being a, 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 a religion that was against God. He felt like he was on the side of God. And he went out trying to arrest people. He arrested many of the people that were followers of Christ. He literally signed the death warrants to many of them. And then on one occasion, as he was going and traveling to arrest some more of these followers of Jesus, he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And it changed his life. It radically changed his life. He went from being the number one persecutor of the, this church, this new movement or way of people, to being the number one proponent for Christianity. And he traveled all around the known world, all around the Mediterranean realm, telling other people about Jesus and starting all of these little gatherings, these little churches, all becoming part of this viral movement that got going. Well, as it would turn out, this message that was originally sent to the Jewish people began to resonate with people that were non-Jewish. And pretty soon the Bible calls them Gentile or non-Jewish people. And pretty soon they became followers of Jesus. They they began to receive this message that Jesus had died for them as well, which was always part of God's plan. that, that, That Jesus had died for the sins of the whole world, not just the Jewish nation. And so these Gentile people began to become believers and it created some friction inside this movement called the church. Because the Jewish believers, some of them were over here saying, okay, you can become a Christ follower, you can become a believer, but to be a part of our group, you're going to have to start doing some things that you didn't do before. You're going to have to start conforming to some of the Old Testament laws that we've always followed. These laws that you've never known or followed before, you're going to have to start doing those things now if you want to be a part of our group. So in other words, it's okay for you to become a Christ follower, but if you want to be part of our group, you got to look a certain way. You got to talk a certain way. You got to do certain things. You got to stop doing other things or you can't be part of our group. Sounds a lot like churches sometimes today, right? That's okay for you to believe in Jesus, but you want to be a part of this group. You got to look a certain way. You got to talk a certain way. You got to be a certain way. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Well, that's what they were saying. And essentially, this came to this huge argument, this, this friction that was taking place there in the church because primarily, if we're getting real with this, you know, doing real talk here, what took place was that the Jewish people were saying that the new Gentile converts, specifically the men, were gonna have to now be circumcised. You talk about a tough church to join, right? I mean, for the men especially, right? That, that would really give you cause to sit back and go, I'm not sure about this thing. And so, this, this became, you know, this, a huge deal. And, 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 you know, the Gentile guys were going, hey, I don't know about this. And the Jewish guys, "No, you want to be a part of our group? I said, I don't even know who was checking that stuff back then. But anyway, this became a huge argument. You can read it for yourself. It's in the book of Acts. You can go look read it for yourself. Became a huge argument. So much so that they took it to headquarters in Jerusalem. And there was a huge church council that took place to decide about these things. Which that, wouldn't you love? Just been a part of that, just to sit there and listen to this debate. And so they went back and forth, arguing for and against, and different ones stood up and talked. Um, Paul stood up. Peter stood up and said, "Listen, these things that these Old Testament laws that none of us ever were able to to, to keep, you know, fully." You know, we all sinned, we all made mistakes. There was none of us that were ever perfect with those things. Now we're trying to ask the people that have never even lived under these things to try to take them on when we couldn't do it. We've been learning about it since we were kids. And that's a yoke that we're trying to put around their neck that we could never even bear under. And finally, at the end of that time together, that discussion, that council, James, who was the brother of Jesus and had become the pastor of the church In Jerusalem, he basically makes this announcement. It's in Acts chapter 15. In verse 19, he says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He says, it's my judgment, it's my opinion, it's my decision, that we should not put things in front of them that make it unnecessarily difficult for them when they're wanting to turn their heart and life to Jesus Christ, to God. Why would we put things in front of them that are an impediment to them becoming a follower of Jesus? Things that really don't matter in the end. And so it's my opinion that we make it as easy as possible for people to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ because it's not based on things that we do. It's based on something that he did for us. And so with that decision, the church then began to flourish. More and more people came to Jesus Christ. And over the years, millions and millions of people have become followers of Jesus Christ, have become a part of this movement of people, this assembly of people that are all based in one statement, one confession. People of all different languages, people of different nationalities, people of different backgrounds, people with different, uh, different issues, different baggage, all under the same bond of the same confession that we believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And because of that, we form this thing called the church. This prominent figure, um, Saul, who became the apostle Paul, he actually wrote, in the book of Romans, another passage that uh, this verse is actually one of my favorite verses. I I, I saw this years ago, and it really became a verse that that I feel like is, is like a life verse for me. And here's what he says in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 20. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. He says, listen, it's always been my ambition to go to places where they didn't really know who Jesus was. They didn't really know much about a relationship with Jesus Christ, so I could share with them this gospel message, this good news of who Jesus is and the relationship they can have with him. Their sins can be forgiven. They can have an eternity in heaven. It's my ambition to go there that I'm not building on someone else's foundation. And as I read that years ago, that just resonated with my heart. That, man, I wanna be a part of a group that says, I wanna go where people, maybe they've never heard, maybe they have been a part of churches and got burned or maybe they've never even considered giving church a try and sharing with them the love and the grace and the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Not a bunch of rules, not a bunch of things that they have to adhere to in order to be a part of our group, but make it easy for them to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a sense in which this viral movement that got started in the first century that really should have never even cleared the first century. It had so many things going against it. There were so many groups trying to stomp it out. It didn't have any support anywhere. And the only reason it survived the first century is because Jesus said that it would. And he said the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it, that even death cannot prevail against it. It made it out of the first century, not only that, it has thrived throughout the centuries. Because Jesus said that it would and we are a part of that viral movement even today. And as a part of that there's this sense of are we going to seize the opportunities that are in front of us to continue that movement that was started in the first century? Are we going to take on the responsibility of being a part of this and moving it forward and handing it off to the next generation maybe in better shape than we received it? Are we going to let that opportunity go past us? And my hope and my prayer is that we would seize the opportunity, that we would take hold of it, and that we wouldn't let that pass us by, that we would want to be a part of this viral movement, and that we would want to be a part of a group that says we want to make it easy for people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the hope and the love and the grace that we've experienced in Jesus. And so, six, you know, so we started, we made a, a, a decision years ago, that we wanted to intentionally be a part of a group that made it easy for people to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we made a very strategic decision to be, to try to create a church where people that didn't go to church would wanna attend. We we wanted to try to create a, a church where unchurched people would say, I'll go to that place. Now that seems crazy because as I grew up, people that didn't go to church didn't wanna go to my church because of the things that were part of the church. And so how do you create a place where people that don't go to church would want to go there? And so that was a challenge. We wanted to try to accept that challenge. And we did. We we decided, here's the kind of church that we want to be. And so what that meant is that we don't really cater to or market to people that go to church. Now, if you came here and you've already already gone to church somewhere, and when you came to us, we're glad you're here. But you're not really part of our market audience, okay? We really wanted to be a church that... They're really planned and organized around trying to reach out and minister to those who didn't go to church, given up on church. And so what that's done is it's caused us to organize around that, to plan ministries around that, to organize our weekend services with people in mind who don't go to church. We budget according to that. We plan for future growth according to that. And because of that, God has allowed us to to have that kind of impact to be able to touch and to reach out to many people who had given up on church or didn't go. And then as a result of that, six and a half years ago, God gave us the opportunity to start a second campus. And it's something that we had never even planned to do, but the opportunity presented itself and, and we started a second campus in what used to be the Palladium Theater, now it's the Regal Theater on the Grand Parkway. And in the last six and a half years, Our attendance has doubled. The number of people that get baptized every year quadrupled. And the reason any of that's so important is because every one of those people, there's a name behind every one of those numbers. And those names are of people whose lives have been changed because their lives have been changed. Their families' lives have been changed. Their relationships have been changed. Hope has been restored. And God has given us the opportunity to be a part of that, to share those things with other people. And now there's a new opportunity that we have in front of us this year. And we're planning to launch a third campus of the bridge in Fulsher in September of this year. We have recently hired a a campus pastor. Uh, His name's Chuck Butler and he is now in town. Uh, Chuck is absolutely the guy that we believe that God has led to us for this third campus to start this third campus. And we're so excited about this third campus. It will be in Fulsher High School um, Fuller High School is an incredible high school, brand new school, built in 2016. And uh, they've wo- welcomed us, opened their arms to us. And we look forward to being able to launch this campus in the fall of this year. And so as we think about this and we look at all that God has allowed us to do, and it's been amazing even that, that God has allowed us to have <laughs> such an influence that, that even the, even other churches have come to our church occasionally and, and staff members and pastors have come through our church and through our facilities and talked to our staff members saying, how do y'all do this? And how do you do that? And I'm like, man, I'm from Alabama. We we, you know, you're not talking about the smartest guy in the room. Okay. Um, we, we just kind of lucked into some of it, but, but, but it's just the influence that God has been able to give us. And some of that is even carried beyond this, this, this state and beyond this country. We've worked with churches in England and Africa and in South America talking about things that God has allowed us to do through you, that you have created this viral movement that God has blessed and God is using and God is touching lives, not just here, not just in the Richmond and Katy area, but through Texas, through the U.S. and other countries around the world because of what you are doing. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of that. Now, I mean, the obvious question comes up periodically. It's like, okay, is there ever a time we feel like we've done enough? I mean, like we've done more than our fair share, right? Like, is there a time that we can ever just kind of sit back and relax? And I would tell you the answer to that is no, there's not. And here's the reason, because influence is a stewardship. Influence is a stewardship. When you've been given influence, you need to be a good steward of that influence that you've been given. And by God's grace, he's allowed us to be a part of this viral movement by your hard work and all the things that you've done to, be, to create the atmosphere that you've created here at the bridge. It has given us a level of influence with different groups of people. And we can't sit back and say, well, God, we appreciate that, but we're done. It's time for us to chill. No, because that influence has been given to us. We need to be good stewards of that. And so instead of looking back and saying, it's time to relax, I would say we need to look at that and say, we need to use that momentum and that influence to continue to advance the gospel message, the good news that Jesus provides hope, forgiveness, grace, that he can change your life. Not only will he give you a home in heaven, but it's the best life you can live here on this earth. That's the message that we've been given and we've been called to be stewards of the influence that God has given us along the way. And so that's why we can't relax. That's why we look at new opportunities to go and to to do the things that God has asked us to do. And I'm excited about that. You know, the reality is when, when God was thinking about his dream for a church, you were a part of that you know that you were part of God's dream? In other words, you're now on the dream team. So you didn't know that. You showed up here today, had no idea. Now you're part of the dream team. You're like, why? I didn't know my day's already better. You're a part of the dream team that God had to continue his movement, continue his viral movement of his church. So as a part of that dream team, there are different things that, that we as dream team members need to be about. And I wanna talk to you about those for just a few minutes three things that I think should be included in our life as dream team members, part of God's dream team, as he dreams about what the church should be like in this world. The first thing is that dream team members should serve. that That should be part of our heart, should be part of our life. And we talked about this very first week, but when you become a Christ follower, you move from this category of being a spiritual consumer to where it's all about me and what can I get out of this and I don't like this deal, I'd rather have that deal and we do all of those things. You move from being that spiritual consumer to now being a spiritual contributor. That, that you've experienced the love and grace of Jesus Christ and now it's, it's like I wanna give my life away. In fact, the, the scripture is very clear that the, the more we try to hang on to our life, especially as Christ followers, the less fulfilled we'll be. But the more we try to give away our life, the more fulfillment we'll experience. And so as Dream Team members, we should be about serving. And and listen, I I say it all the time, not only to you guys, but I say it to people outside of our our church, that I think we have the greatest volunteers anywhere in the world. And I absolutely believe that. Because there's no way we could do what we do as the bridge without the most incredible volunteers in the world. Every week, the ministries that we have going on, it takes an average of 60 to 70% of the people that are just weekly attenders. 60 to 70 percent it takes to be plugged into the different ministries for us to do what we do the way we've organized here is the bridge we are very volunteer driven and if we don't have 60 to 70 percent of you that are serving there we can't do it and so we know that and you do that you serve in such an incredible way that it makes such a huge difference in fact I've talked to different pastors and different staffs that that have come through and we'll talk about our volunteers and we talk about you guys all the time. And and we talk about our volunteers and they'll ask the question, well, how do you get so many people to volunteer and to serve faithfully? And we just say, because our people love Jesus more than yours. You know, (laughs) we do say that, but we're just kidding a little bit. But but we know, I mean, first of all, you are the greatest volunteers in the world. But then we talk about how, sometimes it's about understanding why, not just what. You see, when it comes to volunteering here at The Bridge, we're not just asking people to go down there and babysit kids. That's not what we're about. In our children's area, in in Tiny Town, in Bridge Kids, we're asking people to invest into those children to plant seeds of truth into their life that God will then continue to nurture and grow and, some, and someday in their life become fully bloomed in their heart this truth that you've planted into their heart and life as a small child. We're not just asking people to chaperone middle school and high school environments, you know, just make sure they don't tear the place down. Now, that's not what we're about. Well, we don't want them to tear the place down, but, but we're not about that. It's about walking in their life and it's about walking beside parents. Now you think about it. I know this was true when I was growing up. When I was growing up, you know, my first probably 10, 11, 12 years of my life, my dad was the smartest guy in the room. He was smarter than everybody else, dad. He was so intelligent. He was incredible. He was great. When I turned 13, he lost it. I don't know what happened to him. He just began to lose some of it. You know what I'm saying? And it stayed that way until I was about 20 or so. And then he got smart again. And I don't understand what happened to him in those years. But in those years, I didn't want to listen as a teenager, right? And then all of a sudden, I got to where, hey, dad made me know something here. And I listened again. And see, as parents, especially if you have teenagers, you know that's true. Wouldn't it be nice to have someone walking beside you saying the same things that you say and imparting the same values that you have into the lives of your kids when they're not listening to you, but they might listen to somebody else? When they might come home and say, you know, so-and-so who maybe their small group leader said this today, I think that's something I need to do. And it's something you've been saying for the last five years. And you're tempted to go, yeah, I've been saying that for the last five years, but you don't because it's more important to you that they're now doing this thing that you've been saying for the last five years. It's that they didn't listen to you, but somebody else said it and you don't care as long as somebody's walking in their life saying the same thing. And that's what we want when we ask people to volunteer in our student ministry. We don't ask people just to stand out there and hold door's open. Just smile and say hi, that's all. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It it is about that. We don't want you to frown and tell people to leave. It is about smiling and saying hi, but here's what we know. We know that people make their minds up about a place in the first seven minutes. The first seven minutes, that's from the parking lot into the building and maybe getting situated in the room. There's no song that's been done. There's no message that's been talked about. In the first seven minutes, they're trying to decide, is this a place that I want to stay and be a part of? And so everybody that's holding those doors open and greeting people, you are setting the tone for what a person will experience that day. You are setting a tone for whether or not their heart will be open to the things that God wants to say to them that day. Not about just opening a a door and saying hi. It's not even about just making coffee. Do you know how to do grounds and pour? You know how to do, okay, yep. That's not even about that. It's about the fact that we know when a person shows up here for the first time, especially if they've never gone to church, they may be totally petrified of what they're gonna experience in a church building. They don't know who we are. They might think we're crazy. They're they're, they're walking up thinking they're gonna be doing stuff with snakes. You know, they just don't know, right? And so you provide coffee for them and that coffee is like, okay, I know coffee. Yeah, it's nothing wrong with this, okay? And that cup is like a barrier that they can hide behind. It's like they can keep it in front of them and they feel very comfortable like it's my shield and you can't come close to me, you know? That's a comfort level. You are providing that for them so that their heart would get comfortable enough to maybe hear something that God has to say to them that day. It's not about running lights and sound. It's about creating a medium that takes the greatest message that's ever been communicated and makes it very clear and powerful. It's about why you do what you do. In every place, every ministry, there is a why behind what you do. And that is critically important to what you do. And we want you plugged in. We want you making a difference. And with the new campus that we're launching, there are opportunities. There are opportunities, two opportunities. One is to step out and be a part of a launch team. We're trying to launch this new campus with about 150 people. We'll take more than that if we get them, but we're shooting for 150 people. Now, we know that primarily because of the proximity of our Regal campus being closer to Sure, that probably the majority of people on the launch team will come out of the Regal campus, but there may be some of you that would sit here today and say, I will give a year to go out there and help them launch. I'll show up out there on Sundays, I will help them launch, I will do whatever they need in the various ministry areas that they have. I'll be a part of a launch team to go out and help. Stepping out, being a part of the launch team. That's one way with, the, with this new campus. Another way is to step up. As people step out and they're going to be a part of a launch team, it leaves vacancies, it leaves ministry holes here, both at this campus and at our Regal campus and we'll need people to step up and fill those uh, ministry areas. It's a perfect opportunity for you to get your feet wet in ministry, to be on the front line of seeing people's lives changed. And so stepping out and stepping up are two of the ways, two of the opportunities that come along with this new campus that we're starting in the fall. Dream Team members. They serve. But you know what? Dream Team members also give. Give. We don't talk a lot about giving. We talk about it some. And we will talk about it some. Why will we talk about it? Because Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about Money and giving more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And so what, what we understand is as you look at the words, what Jesus talked about, and we you read the scripture, you understand that God stands back and says, Probably the biggest competition as God that I have for your heart <laughs> is your stuff. It's not all these other things, it's your stuff. And so that's why it gets talked about in scripture so often. Because God says. If I can get your heart and not your stuff, have your heart, then we can do some things. And so we talk about giving, we talk about it because we know that God talks about it. And we know that we're never more like God than when we give. You say, how do you get that? Well, probably the most famous verse that is out there is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave, gave. He gave his only son. It is very difficult to love and not give as a part of love. And so we're never more like God than when we give. When we don't try to keep, we don't try to keep a locked hand around our stuff but we're open handed and saying, God, you know, you've blessed me with all this stuff. You've blessed me with the ability to earn a living. You've blessed me with the things that I have in my life. I don't wanna sit here and clamp down on these things and say they're mine, you'll never pry them out of. And you know what, God will never try to pry them out of your hands. God does not have a money shortage. God would love to have your heart. And you will be more fulfilled the more you live with open hands than you will clenched fist. Three ways we talk about giving around here. We talk about percentage giving, progressive giving, and priority giving. Percentage giving, we we'll probably talk about more than the others because that's basically giving a percentage of your income. Now we talk a lot about 10%, which the Bible says the tithe, And God says he will bless your life if you tithe, if you give 10%. And we believe that. Many of you have experienced that. Percentage giving. Why percentage giving? Because percentage says, I'm going to give this percentage every time. I'm not going to fluctuate based on how my month went. I'm not going to get to the end of the month and I'm going to go, oh, let's see what I got left over. Okay, here's a five spot. It's not that because then we get caught up in giving God whatever we have left over. Percentage says, I'm going to set this percentage and I'm going to put God at the front of the line. I'm gonna give to God before I give to anything else. That's percentage giving. And you know what, we talk a lot about the tithe, 10%, which is what the tithe means. But 7%, 5%, just set something out there to begin giving a percentage gift. That way you're setting, you're saying, God, I wanna put you as priority. And I'll put you out there first. That's percentage giving. We talk about progressive giving as well. And that's basically, we don't want anybody to get stuck in their giving. When I was growing up, I used to, you know, I used to watch, watch but I, I learned to tithe when I was a kid. My parents taught me to tithe. I've been tithing all the way through teenage years, through high school, through college. We got married. I've still been tithing. You know, it's like, it's just part of my life. I don't rob banks. I don't beat my wife and I tithe. It's just part of who I am. Okay. And so, so that's, all, that's what I've done. But it, as I, as I grew up watching people tithe, it was so funny because you'd see people and they would tithe down to the penny. It's like, here's my tie, this $103 and 56 cents. You know, it's like, good Lord. You know, and so it's like, okay, that's, that's kind of getting stuck in something. And we want to talk about progressive where, you know what, yeah, that's where I was. But as I've grown in my relationship with Christ, I, I, wanna, I, don't, I want every area of my life to grow. I don't want to say, no, 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 you 10%, that's all you're getting. If God wants more, then God can have more. It's just not getting stuck somewhere. It's being progressive in the way that you give back. And then we talk about priority giving. That's periodically when we have different priorities that we ask you to give toward, like do good. We did that back toward Christmas where do good is our ministry that we travel around the world and we just do good for people. And as we do good, it opens up the door for us to share the love of Christ with them. And so we ask you to give to fund the do good ministry, our missions type ministry that we have here at the bridge. That's a, pro- that's a priority. That's something we ask you to give to. And this Fulsher campus launch is another priority that we would ask you to give to. And the reality of what we need is that for two years, we're trying to fully fund the, the, the launch for two years. And the reason we try to fully fund the launch for two years is so there's no financial pressure on that campus as it's trying to get up and get going. So we don't want that. We want them just to simply minister to people as they're coming and not sit there and have to worry about the finances, and so we try to fund it for two years. And to fund that campus launch for two years is $2 million, $2 million, but that's a lot cheaper than building buildings. $2 million, say, so what does that go to? It goes to renting the facility, it goes to purchasing equipment that we'll need, it goes to setting all the environments that will be there in the proper way. And the environments will be a worship service, uh, adult worship service, we'll, be, we'll have children's, our tiny town and Bridge Kids environments we will have all of those, uh, as well as student ministry opportunities as well. So setting those, uh, setting those things in place, all those environments, it costs money. But here's the reality. If every person that calls the bridge their home, if you gave as little as $100 a month, $1,200 a year, $2,400 in two years, fully funds that campus, fully funds it. So the reason I tell you that is because I want you to understand everybody can be a part of that if, you, if, if God lays it on your heart to be a part of it. Every person can be a part of that. You say, you don't know what my finances look like. You're right, I don't. But if God lays it on your heart, God will help provide that. And I want you to understand, there's no pressure here. In a moment, every seat there has these little cards there in the seat. These cards here, they're they're just talk about on the front, there's just pertinent information. On the back, there's three ways you can be involved. Stepping out, stepping up, and Giving. And I would ask you, today is the day I'm asking you to, to fill this out and commit. But you know what? Ain't nobody going to stand. At the, I just said ain't. No one's going to stand. <laughs> Alabama. No one's going to stand at the door and check your cards. Hey, hey, you give a card. Go back in. Now, it's not about that. My thing is, God's big enough to lay that on your heart. I don't have to guilt you or do anything like that. God's big enough to do that. I'm just letting you know the opportunity that's in front of you. I know that you, Many of you can, can get on board with the $100 a month. Many of you can do more than that. But God has the ability to lay that on your heart. And I think he will. And the last part, dream team members, is we invite. We invite. You see, our whole strategy of who we are as a bridge is built on this thing called invest and invite. You invest into your friendships, into your relationships. You look for an opportunity to invite them to be here with you, to come experience the bridge with you. No pressure, you just invite them, they come, no strings attached, that's, that's just the way, we, we don't do a lot of marketing, our whole strategy is built on around you inviting your friends. So when you think about your circles of influence, the people, your friendships, your people you work with, people in your neighborhood, people you work out with, people you have hobbies with, or your kids sports team, are there any people in those circles that you think could benefit from coming and checking out the bridge? Anybody in those circles that you think, man, you would love our church. Would you just invest into them and invest in that relationship and just look for an opportunity for God to open the door for you to invite them? God will open that door. And God opens that door in some crazy ways sometimes. And all you're doing is just inviting them to the bridge. That's all you're doing. Two weeks from today, it's, something we do every year called Football Sunday. It's the Super Bowl. And uh, the service will be built around different uh, players that are playing in the game that day, their testimonies, we'll share those on video. Um, it's a really cool day. It's a neat day to invite a friend that uh, is kind of different than the normal church service. And so that's a great day to invite. Easter's coming up down the road. Easter's an easy time to invite people because people that don't even believe in God will go to church on Easter if you'll just invite them. And so that's an easy invite. So just as you think about those different circles that you're involved in? Are there any opportunities for you to invite any of them to be a part of the bridge? See, as we do that, we keep this thing, this viral movement going. And we maybe hand off this thing called the church to the next generation in better shape than we found it. Then it was delivered to us. We talked about a domino effect. There's a potential domino effect that can happen as we invite our friends. And if we invite our coworkers and family members. I shared the very first week, the growth rate that's happening out in Forscher. I shared last week as well, that it's growing the next 10 years, they, they predicted it's gonna quadruple in size. So right now there's about 18,000 people there, about 10,000 of them, claim no church affiliation. In, in the next 10 years, it'll grow to about to 80,000 people with about 40,000 of them claiming no church affiliation. And I want to just give you a glimpse of what a domino effect could look like if we sent 150 people out there to launch this campus. And if those 150 people would just invite four people in the first year, just four people. According to different studies and, and statistics, there's a certain percentage of those four people that'll actually come to the bridge and they'll stay. It actually works out to be about 1.4. I don't know where the other six-tenths of that person is, but four-tenths of them will actually come. And we don't get to pick which four-tenths of them it is. But four, 1.4 is what that works out to. And What you'll see behind me is how that, that growth begins to happen, that domino effect begins to take place that as those 1.4 then gets added to that 150 over the next year, it just continues to compound that if all of those would then invite four people that next year and the same percentages work out, how it just continues to grow and grow and it moves from about 150 people to potentially well up into the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that we could potentially impact by having a presence in full And being willing to invite people to come and experience something. Not a a location, but a real relationship with a risen Jesus Christ. And the hope that comes with that, it can just grow and grow and grow. If we'll just choose to be a part of it. And that is my prayer. That is my hope that you would wanna be a part of that movement. Let me pray for us, okay?